0: Right. Take back the power. Take back the power. Take back the power. All right, ladies Take and gentlemen, back welcome back to Make America Whole. Reparations is our goal. Hey, look, y'all, my name is Lawrence Walker. I'm here with the one, the only. Mr. Kyle Carson. Kyle, how you doing today, brother?
1: I'm doing well, bro. How you doing?
0: Man, I'm blessed. I'm well. I'm glad to be here. Keeping to keep on. (laughs) So, check it out. As you all know, Make America Whole, we are committed to recognizing the need, visualizing the impact, and organizing the action towards reparation and healing here in the United States of America. And today's broadcast, we are focusing, we're going to kind of narrow in for a period of time today on recognizing the need starting with chattel slavery. Now, again, as we recognize the need, we want to take a time to look at the historical consequences of the legacy of slavery and start to really build into where we are today. So let's start by looking at one of the very early eras in our nation's history. And we're going way back to the 17th century here. So looking at the original sin of the United States of America. Now, I I understand sin as being something bad that you should not do. I mean, I know some folks may not have the same religious background that I do. But sin is not something that is... Um, that is good. And it's something that can actually lead to further consequences in the future, especially if you attempt to cover it up, uh, going back to Genesis. So, um, Kyle, can you? what are some of your ideas about um, the original sin or sin in this United States?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think if anybody's actually honestly looking at this country's history, you have to look at the trauma that occurred when the pilgrims first got here and when this country was being built that starts with their relationship with native nations who were here and were and i like saying native nations because these were nations these were nations of peoples who were organized who had you know large large communities capitals This, this this is what was here on this continent um before pilgrims got here and so you know the original sins of this country include the genocide of Native Nations, um, and and also part and parcel with that. It, in 1619, a lot of folks talked about last year being 2019 uh, was the 400 year anniversary of the first Africans being brought um, to the shores of Virginia. Um, so slavery started uh, not long after Pilgrims got here in the first place. So genocide and slavery are the two original sins of this country and and it took a while for slavery to really emerge there's some even there's even debate about those 20 and 20, nine negroes uh, that were brought over in 1619 they, were they actually slaves like what was their actual status so there's a lot of history to unpack there and it really does take time for slavery to emerge and for the tactics of genocide to really come to fruition but If anybody's truly looking at the history of this nation, the two original sins are undoubtedly slavery and genocide.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that of those two items that you just mentioned, those two actions, slavery and genocide, are both inflicted upon other people here in this nation. One of the elements that was born out of that is what can be considered as A codified system of suppression known as white supremacy. Some may call it whiteism, but this is still a a system and structure that's put in place to harm people. So, before we get much further, let's let's go ahead and break some of these down here. Um, One, you mentioned slavery, and in Uh, In world history and in the history of humanity, we do understand that slavery is something that has happened many times before. Uh, Genocide is something that has happened many times before. Always uh, very unfortunate, very disturbing, very sad and tragic uh, for people to behave that way towards other people. In the context of America, the institution of chattel slavery was something that we've we've made have heard in grade school or growing up it wasn't until i took a class uh, actually a not a history class at all this is actually a real estate course um uh, uh, some time ago where i actually really got acquainted with the term chattel and how chattel is is well chattel is an item of tangible or immovable property Except real estate and things such as buildings connected with real property, so making a person property that is basically what chattel is. so Kyle, I want to share with you a another definition, and really I want to share this with everybody and I've, I've got this definition of the combination of racism and white supremacy, whiteism. Uh, these are terms that I learned from Mr. Gus T. Renegade, uh, who is the host of the Cows radio broadcast. Uh, he defines it as this, and I, I've adopted this as well, a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe who they classify as not white. So there's our two definitions. Kyle, any thoughts on those?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'll add that white supremacy created race in this country. And a lot of people talk about race and say, oh, well, don't we all look differently? Like white people are white and black people are darker skinned. And that's real. Race does not biologically exist race exists in the social construct of this country and because of the dominance of this country globally, it has had global impacts. So when people talk about racism, it also is based on the white supremacist model, which you described. So racism is by definition, white people on top and black people or non-white people below whiteness. That's the definition of racism. So when people talk about reverse racism, stuff like that, the idea of race came with the idea of white on top nine white below that that's it that's 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 the definition and the fact that that's baked into this country, which we'll talk about in a little bit is is comes is part and parcel with this whole white supremacy concept, which again is unique to what the United States did with slavery and genocide like that those the combination of those is really what makes um is' really the, are the key ingredients to what made America what it is and um those are some pretty pretty tragic ingredients to be the beginning of your country.
0: So with that being the beginning of the country, these, this trifecta of the original sin, slavery, genocide, racism, white supremacy, how are we finding where the convergence of these three elements really came together?
1: Yeah, a lot of people point to Bacon's Rebellion as a key flashpoint for this discussion. Um, And so just a little, going a little bit down the history of Bacon's Rebellion, this is 1676 Virginia. Virginia is still a colony at this point. The governor of Virginia, the colony, is William Berkeley. And the rebellion is led by Nathaniel Bacon, who, for those who don't really truly look at the history, the deep history of this, he's kind of celebrated because he basically got together a, a diverse cast of people to basically try to overthrow the British rule in the, in the colony. But Nathaniel Bacon was, he was a greedy landowner and his primary goal was to acquire more land by force. Um, And when I say acquire more land, basically continue the, the, the precedent of genocide against native nations. Um, He, he had some land, he had some power, but he also was on a personal, he was not included in Berkeley's, you know, um, leadership within, within the, the the governance of the colony, and he wanted to aggressively expand his own wealth and his own property. So he wanted to essentially have a blank slate to wage war on Native nations and, and expand his own territory. And he promised, you know, indentured servants, white indentured servants, enslaved Africans, um, and, and even other Native nations nearby to, to you know, to basically overthrow the, the British rule in Virginia, so that they could do what they wanted in terms of expansion. Um, so it wasn't necessarily he didn't have you know noble goals by any stretch. So basically, what what he did was he he, he united these people together, and they basically stormed the capital, um, Jamestown, in Virginia. And Berkeley fled. Um, he and he and his and his you know forces fled and went across the river um, for a couple of months. So so Bacon and his folks. Uh, you know, actually took control of, of, of the colony for a little bit. Um, Bacon ended up dying of sickness um, and other folks, you know, tried to tried to lead it. They weren't as effective. Um, and eventually the British British forces came back and, and sent reinforcements and squashed the rebellion and hung, I think, I don't know, 20 or 30 people. I can't remember how many it was. Um, but but basically the, the rebellion was eventually squashed. So I think the lesson here is that, you know, genocide was kind of an undercurrent, of American history, including this moment. Um, but what came out of this moment was a general fear by the British elite that if the have nots realized that they were all in the similar station economically, that they had the human power to either physically or by vote or by other means really redistribute the wealth and really take more ownership of power. So what that led to was a deliberate strategy on the part of the British elite to delineate between indentured servitude and enslavement. And indentured servitude essentially became more and more a white thing, and slavery became more and more reserved for those from the African continent and their descendants. And this took some time to really materialize, but you really see this codified in writing in 1705 in the form of the Virginia Slave Codes.
0: And so from that experience, we begin to see the birth of white-ism. And in fact, this is not the beginning of some of those codes. There is some evidence to show that as early as 1640 colonial courts in Virginia began construing these racial identities to determine who could be enslaved and who could be enslaved for life. Uh, And this is according to Dr. Gerald Horn. Uh, But what we did see is that, as you mentioned in 1705, that's when the slave codes became uh, really codified. This is shortly after Bacon's rebellion, because of course, when people are able to see who the so-called real oppressor is uh, then there's an opportunity to really topple that person so what we're seeing is that this concept of white supremacy is something that has harmed both black and white people uh, to some degree Uh, i think that black people have obviously been the 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 ones that are hurt the most by this system, because even today we see that there are many white people who practice white supremacy. And also there are some non-white people who attempt to uh, get in on the so-called structure, the so-called caste system that is within the system of white supremacy that keeps people divided And um, we're not able to find a solution to many of our problems. So I want to mention that uh, some of the language in the slave code that says all servants imported and brought into the country who were not Christians in their native country shall be accounted and be slaves. All Negro mulatto and Indian slaves within this dominion shall be held to be real estate. If any slave resist his master correcting such slaves and shall happen to be killed in such correction, the master shall be free of all punishment as if such accident never happened. So what this was was license for so-called masters to inflict harm, bodily harm on their subjects, on their slaves who were considered real estate, a piece of property, and they could harm another human being and have nothing happen to them. So from that, we saw all sorts of violence from from whippings and beatings to chopping off ears and noses and hangings and lynchings and rapings. Uh, we've seen all of these things that were in the eyes of the law, seen as, well, nothing happened. People would just look away. Um, It's really horrifying to think that that was codified here in the United States of America, where we have the so-called Declaration of Independence. But the one last item I want to mention on this is that, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the first appearance in print of the adjective white in reference to a white man, a person of race distinguished by a light complexion, was in 1671. So this is really concurrent with that Bacon's Rebellion era. This is where this was getting set up to be a part of our lexicon, to be a part of our legal system, and it is still in place today. So when we're talking about white supremacy, we're not talking about just some idea or just a concept of people being mean. We're talking about a total system structure that is rigid and designed and reinforced by a group of people to subjugate and really dominate another group of people. And so the Declaration of Independence, however, says something Very different. So we celebrate the 4th of July, you know, the famous Declaration of Independence,
1: which I think is funny, by the way, because if the war wasn't won, nobody would remember the 4th of July. (laughs)
0: That was at the beginning of
1: the Revolutionary War, and no, nobody really thinks about that. But that was 1776. That was when the war was was like starting. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I digress. Wow.
0: No, no, no. That, that's, it's an important point um, because I mean, the Declaration of Independence was just merely saying, "Hey, we're gonna we are going to secede from Britain," and that was throwing down the gauntlet. And ultimately, this fledgling nation did did come out victorious in order to uh, commit heinous crimes against humanity here on this soil, (laughs) which is um, a very disheartening. The Declaration of Independence includes the statement, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness.
1: Yeah. And I like to jump in there because John Locke and the two treaties of government originally said that all men are endowed by their creator, life, liberty and property. And the founding fathers changed it to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Cause they knew damn well, some people were property. Mm-hmm. And, and I always, I always like making that point. Cause people always think, Oh yeah, life liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Yeah, sure. You can pursue happiness all you want. May never get there. Congratulations. But, what 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 the man they the man whose work they studied originally said life liberty and property but that just didn't work that didn't sit right and they knew it <laughs> and,
0: and you know you make a great point because the majority of the men who signed that Declaration of Independence were themselves slaveholders thirty four out of the forty seven men that were depicted in that photo uh, that I shouldn't say photo that painting uh, called Declaration of Independence were in fact slaveholders. So you can actually see these folks um, who are saying this this contradiction. So our country is based on a contradiction and we we here at Make America Whole put forward that this contradiction is that original sin of slavery, genocide, and racism slash white supremacy. Mm-hmm the contradictions are glaring and there's always been a, a, a tension here because of that, uh, which is something that we plan to correct in the process of our recognizing the need, visualizing the impact and organizing the action towards repairing and healing so that we can be whole as a nation. Yes, indeed. So, Let's take a look at here at a couple of articles in the Constitution. This will be relevant not only to our discussion today, but to future discussions. Specifically, we want to look at where the Constitution is contradicting the Declaration of Independence. Didn't we just say all men are created equal according to the Declaration of Independence?
1: Indeed. I just want to point out the time that has elapsed throughout these pieces that we're mentioning. Bacon's Rebellion was 1676. The Virginia Slave Codes were 1705. The Declaration of Independence was 1776, and the Constitution was ratified after the war was won in 1788. So there has been over a century of time between Bacon's Rebellion and all of those other events. So there had been ample time for these folks to have a come to Jesus moment for these so-called Christians to really rectify these issues. But no, they decided to double down on white supremacy, racism, genocide, and slavery.
0: You know, that's what Dr. Gerald Horne refers to as the apocalypse of settler colonialism.
1: Mm -hmm. Like it it was so it might (laughs) have been all well
0: and good for for, you know, white male property owners. But it was an apocalypse for those who were non-white and um, maybe for some who were just not landowners. (laughs) So. We're talking about,
1: and of course, women and women and Black people, Native nations; those are Native nations. Everybody else, obviously, were, were subjugated as well. But even even white male non-property owners were also shafted.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think that that's something that's worth investigating in a future episode as well. Because while there were distinctions, certainly, and, in, and to this day, between genders, uh, there's a really excellent read called "They Were Her Property" that looks at the uh, the female counterpart involved in slavery and how that was also a cruel and wicked uh, person to be subject to as well. So I don't want to uh, excuse anybody, but we have to uncover the whole story and really get down to this because our goal here isn't simply to, ah, oh, well, point figures, yeah, you did this, you did that. Our goal here is to recognize the need for correcting this so that we can have things in balance and be Whole. So, moving forward in looking into the Constitution itself, let's take a look at Article One and Section Two. This is the one that deals with slaves counting as three fifths a person. So, just told you about the Declaration of Independence, and told you that of the folks that signed that, most of them were slave owners themselves. Well, one of those, again, I've I think I've shared in the past. My family has connection to James Madison, one of our so-called founding fathers um, that enslaved some of my ancestors. So my respect for him is quite low. But I do want to say that this man was responsible for writing the Federalist Papers 54, where he came up with the concept of the three fifths compromise because he wanted to protect his property and make sure that they had no rights, not even the right to be counted to give power to another uh, another group. And so we're looking at these contradictions being wrapped up and it's just it's really perplexing to see how these folks uh, really took a painstaking period of time to put together this system that was rife with compromises and contradictions that they themselves had to deal with because they knew that they weren't really committed to equality. They knew they weren't really committed to justice. And so we'll see later on how their offspring, (laughs) continue to try to find ways to say, oh, well, this group of people isn't really human. We weren't really talking about these people when we were saying all men are created equal. So we see that. Um, also in the Constitution and some of the other areas where we're pointed out the concept of, uh, of of slavery, we have also in Article 1 in Section 9, the first clause talks about there's no power of the federal Government to ban slavery until 1808. Uh, we also see in Article 5 that there would be no constitutional amendment to ban slavery until 1808. They were really committed to having this thing go on until a period of time when at least the people who signed the Constitution would have gotten as much use out of their slaves as they could while they were alive. So this is 31 years after the Constitution is signed. So Again, these folks who are putting this this document together know that they have committed a sin. They like you can tell they kind of feel I I shouldn't say that you can tell that they are dealing with something that they know is not right. And yet they continue to move forward and set the foundation for this country. So uh, later on. There's some other amendments that that come into play. Uh, We don't want to spend too much time on those today, but I do want to make mention of the 13th Amendment, which talks about, um, well, it states this, uh, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So basically, that is a amendment that is outlawing slavery except for punishment for a crime. So we'll touch on that. Well, we'll touch on that in a few minutes. Uh, Kyle, any items that you want to point out or, or discuss about the constitution that we covered so far today?
1: One thing I will add is that the Federalist papers are really where the founding fathers were arguing back and forth about how the constitution would be formed and, you know Hamilton was was a big player in those and and others. So, you know the idea that the founding fathers were a monolith and they all agreed on the same things is is just a lie. Um, but the fact that Madison authored this one and that this one got in, or that that three fifths idea got in, is is extremely telling in terms of the the, the North's um, complicit nature with the whole idea of slavery and even allowing slave the enslaved Africans to to count. Somewhat, as people in terms of in terms of congressional representation, um, I, to me that that whole thing is just is just so blatantly despicable. Um, and last last episode we talked about how how they talked about this, slavery was a necessary evil. You can't you can't t- t- say give these guys a pass. As I know, Lawrence, you've mentioned this before. You, you can't just give these guys a pass saying, "Oh, they were men of their times." Like that was just the way it is. No, no, no. They were actively debating it. There were people who were saying this is morally wrong. There were people who like knew that this was wrong and and I know you've touched on this, but just to emphasize that point, this is not, this is, you can't just broad brush this and say, Oh, they were just a victim of their time. No, they were making their time. They made, they made it, they made this nation what it is. And they, and they let this go.
0: Yep. And, and they, and it's documented, well documented that they personally felt con conflicted Um, in, in (laughs) I grew up in the church. And so again, words, we're talking about slavery. This feeling of being conflicted sounds to me like someone is being convicted. That's personal. That's like a a moving in your spirit where you know you're doing something wrong and yet doing it anyway. So, um, you know what, Kyle, let's let's go ahead and kind of thread this needle for today and move into some news.
1: Sure. Let's do that. Let's do some news right after a quick break. Yeah, I know. Um, last week we talked about how Robert Smith had a video where he was talking about corporations stepping stepping up and and playing a role in this conversation about reparations and doing their part to to investigate and fund you know reparations for African Americans since they a lot of them are culpable. And he also mentioned that the federal government is is largely responsible for. It, but as a as a corporate owner, as a, well not an owner, but as a corporate uh, chairperson and 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 leader, he correctly identified that corporations can have a role to play in this too. You know, we talked about him in, in that news and wouldn't you know it, then news comes out the following week that he is being investigated by the IRS for allegedly not paying taxes on about $200 million in cash assets that were moved through an offshore account. He has not been charged with anything. He's just being investigated. So what are your what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, my thoughts are it is always, you're always in a situation of being caught up when you're speaking out for the benefit of black people, Uh, especially if you're a person that has great stature, great wealth. And we've seen this happen time and time again. I'm not surprised. Now, the one thing that I, I do notice here is that this is, Something that this investigation was allegedly going on for several years now, and he was aware of this probe. Now it is a probe. There is no crime. There is no conviction. But I think that what it is telling is the way that it is construed in the news. The way that it just now—it's—it's it's, nothing has happened with this probe. Like it hasn't gone forward. There's nothing new that they have today that they didn't have 2 weeks ago that they didn't have last year but it's you know here's one of the the pernicious things about white supremacy is that you know you'll have folks that will will hold on like you did something okay we're not going to say anything we're just going to hold on to this until it's the right time to to kind of hold on to this snare and just kind of lay this down and keep this in our back pocket until it's time to to use this against you. And I think that that is what we're seeing in his case. Now, I don't know what his culpability is in this. I I do strongly suspect, though, that it was only brought to our attention because of how he he spoke out in favor of reparations. Um, And again, he didn't mention a number. He just put out a challenge to the business community,
1: and then we suddenly we're suddenly reminded that this investigation is going on.
0: Exactly. It's like, exactly. Yeah. So, all right. You're, so I think that ultimately, what a couple of things. One, I think that just as 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 I'm speaking to Black people here, I think one we need to be mindful of this, and we need to be ready to. Um, go to bat for our folks who speak on behalf of us uh, because when regardless of of their skin tone uh, when you do have people that are speaking on our behalf that does put them in a position where they can be vulnerable uh, especially as public figures so so that's one main thing i think the other thing is to uh to know that Even if you're not charged with anything, even if you have done nothing wrong, there can still be a shadow of a doubt that is cast on you for something that you that you could have done. And I think that also goes into the concept of so-called blackness in this country, which I mean, even if you look at the definition, the textbook definition of the word black, it's always It is always combined with negative attributes. And so as we're wrestling with these terms and this terminology, even as we refer to ourselves as black Americans, we need to bear in mind that we're even thinking about ourselves in some ways through the lens of a white supremacist structure that has one term for white, one term for black. Well, here's what I can tell you. I've never met a white person and I've never met a black person. Like those two people just I haven't physically seen anybody like that. I've seen people of various shades, but these terms and these words that we use and the attributes that are assigned to them in dictionaries that are that are European dictionaries, I think are another way that language itself undergirds this this system of racism that we see to this day.
1: Yeah, just to I have to throw in this 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 little personal story. I, you know, my my son is in school and he's he's young. He's he's in elementary school and He's learning about race. He's learning about things and himself and everything. And and we are of a lighter complexion. And he, he understands that we are black. And he's like, yeah, but but our skin isn't black. And I said, well, nobody's skin is actually black. Um, but it is is the name of us as a people. And and to, to see a to see a child reckon to just see the confusion on a child's face that this 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 word that signifies a color that has a very distinct definition of black being used for people who aren't actually black it's it just it just brought out the absurdity of the whole thing. however, the consequences of this are absolutely real and it is it is critical for my son and and children and us as people to understand the history and understand the ramifications of the world we're living in today as a result of it
0: absolutely so Let's see what else is here in the news. So next up, I have another another interesting story, and this comes from CNN. The headline reads: Black newborns more likely to die when looked after by white doctors. Um, this was a, a, a challenging though kind of unsurprising article to read. Um, it, some of the the to draw just a couple of. of Statements from the article itself, which is relatively short, Uh, black newborn babies in the United States are more likely to survive childbirth if they are cared for by black doctors, but three times more likely than white babies to die when looked after by white doctors. The study has found Um, this article also showed that this doesn't happen with white babies in the care of black doctors. Like it, it, that doesn't exist. It's only black babies in the care of white doctors. Um, and we also just, the article specifically says this lays bare the shocking racial disparities in human health and how it can affect even the first few hours of a person's life. So this is literally when people are at the most vulnerable that they will be in their lifetime. And just, this is how Deep this thing goes, folks. Uh, this is how deep racism is rooted in here. We're not just talking about something that is oh well. It's it's really kind of rooted in the Constitution. I mean, this is rooted in the people that we rely on to care for us, to heal us, and so this is where we're talking about making America whole because it doesn't have to be this way. And what one of the things that I, I really found very discouraging about the article and I, I will assert that it is a practice of racism, is that the authors in the article didn't really draw any conclusions of it. They didn't go ahead and say, you know what? This seems like this could be, that these doctors are practicing racism. Um, whether they are doing it in, uh, inadvertently, uh, you know, subconsciously, or if they're doing it purposely, but they choose not to say that even though the evidence is glaring and overwhelming. So I did find that quite challenging. What are your thoughts on it, bro?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, my reaction is, is, was similarly, was similar in the sense that I wasn't surprised sadly. Um, But, but that doesn't make it any easier to hear it. And yeah, I mean, I just, I just have to just take a deep sigh. I've I recently read "Medical Apartheid" uh, by Harriet Washington, and and just the history of the medical atrocities against our people in this country are horrid and just and just just disgusting. And so, you know, the, this statistic and this this study is is just another reminder that our bodies and our lives have never really been respected and never been treated fairly and equally. And and have never, have our bodies have never received the sanctity that white people have, have been, have been afforded. And, and when you're talking about the birth of a child and children, I mean, that's that children are just innocent and, 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 and there's just no excuse for stuff like this Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, no moral excuse. I'll say there, there's, there's racism is the reason, but that's all I got for that one.
0: Yeah. Uh, And look, this, this just reminds me of the legacy of those slave codes where, where it literally says um, that a person who is held as a bondman, as a slave by a master, the master can inflict whatever, cruelty they wish and it would be as if nothing happened so i mean we hear horrific stories of doctors who uh, experimented with black bodies in that book medical apartheid I uh, highly recommend that read very troubling read but very important because the ramifications are still here with us today as evidenced by this this article here And so I hope that this does lead to a change. And honestly, I think that the the best change might be we need more black doctors. And you know what I think can help lead to more black doctors? reparations reparations I was,
1: <laughs> I was late on the queue i, I could have jumped in it
0: yeah no 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 worries brother i, like, because, I know the answer to this I mean, question
1: i've studied all night
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think the the one thing that the article said was well we just need bias training and you know no no no, 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 no. no, no. let's just get some more black doctors out here let's yeah. let's get back to having black hospitals again um and let's make them Black hospitals, great again. I think uh, from my last read, there the only there's only one black-owned hospital in the nation right now.
1: That's crazy. You know which one that is? No, I don't actually. Which one?
0: Uh, Howard University
1: Hospital. Duh! I should have known. Of course, Howard University's yeah. Hospital is the only black-owned yeah. hospital. So,
0: but you know, but I think that that's the other <laughs> wow. that's the other point here is that as far as the studies are showing that, you know. Black people are in the best position, at least from a from a medical standpoint, to take care of them, uh, uh, to, of their children. And so what we can do as a society is not try to debate this. Oh, well, no, it doesn't really happen. Or no, it's not really racism. Or, no, it's not this. We can just say, OK, here's a solution that can work based off of the evidence that we have right now. Here's the easiest solution that can work. Yeah. We need black doctors. Black hospitals, and we can put funds and resources into that. Let's Definitely. not try to, to go about the process of changing people's character. Let's just go about the process of creating more um, Black American doctors. I think that that can really help us moving forward. Definitely. So,
1: for sure, for so, sure.
0: Yeah. So, um, I wanted to touch on this last story. And I say last. Be- even though there's one more story after this maybe <laughs> but um so fire season in california is upon us so this this year with the covid-19 pandemic one of the main uh, one of the major problems that the state of california is now facing is that they are running out of labor To fight these fires, because since the 1940s, California has relied on incarcerated firefighters as its primary so-called hand crews to battle these fires. And so it's actually ballooned to the point where there's a a one quarter of their firefighting force
1: is our slaves, Slaves. Thank you. Thank you. Because yeah, Thirteenth Amendment says, in cars, "If you're incarcerated, you're a slave." Yep. So let's just, let's just call it what it is now. Now that everybody's on the same page.
0: So this is this is an article from The Insider, uh, titled as "Fire as wildfires sweep through California, COVID nineteen impacts the state's ability to rely on inmate fire crews." So uh, to give it just a, a little bit more background, according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, about 2,200 inmate firefighters are used to fight wildfires across the state. Inmates who participate in fire crews are required to go through the same training as the state's seasonal firefighter employees and often must work on the front lines of the fires. However, the people on inmate fire crews are paid between two and $5 a day with an additional $1 per hour when they are on a fire. So, where one, we're seeing that that slavery is still in the United States. It never was abolished. It was just put into a new form. So, now we see slave laborers out fighting fires in California. Now, California is grappling with the issue where they don't have enough slaves to fight their fires. Um, What is going on in this so-called... This is supposed to be... If this is, now, sometimes I hear this. I could be wrong, but sometimes I hear that California is so called the most, um, the most progressive state in the union, the most liberal state in the union. If this is liberal progressivism, we are in real trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah. I when you when you sent me this article, I am embarrassed as to how shocked I was. I, I was shocked about it. I was like, "Wow, really?" And then I was like. How how could I not? I, I, and I was ashamed as as to how I'm ashamed at the disbelief that I originally felt when I re- read this. And um, I'm 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 laughing. And I shouldn't be laughing because it, it's 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 just it. It's really a tragic example, a contemporary tragic example of slavery and racism, white supremacy, all that stuff. And 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 that's not to say to all the inmates, you know fighting these fires are all black we know that they're pro- they're not they're not all black um but we all know that sl- that that the current slave model disp- vastly disproportionately impacts black people um so we we know that we know that the people on the front lines of that are, are disproportionately black and you see the wages there i mean th- this is <sighs> deep sigh again i mean you got me on two man i I all i have is a sigh i mean this this is our country and this is it's it's this this ties right back to the founding documents it ties right back to that that delineation between whiteness and blackness and until we are able to truly separate ourselves separate our country's narrative from white supremacy genocide and slavery and that power dynamic that racial power dynamic these types of things will continue to happen
0: yeah and you know just on on that that article and again, these these incarcerated enslaved people are sent to the most dangerous parts of the fire and paid nothing. So they're most they're most likely to die in these circumstances, be it by a heat stroke or, or a, another means. And you know, we we do say that there are this doesn't just apply to black people, but when we look at the incarceration rates in California we're looking at overwhelmingly black people, um, black men in uh, in particular, Uh, according to uh, a 2010 source from the the 2010 census, the incarceration rate of, of black people is almost four times the next highest group. Um, So we have, 453 white people incarcerated in California for every 100,000 people. We have 757 Hispanic people incarcerated per 100,000 people. 3,036 black Americans incarcerated per 100,000 people. And 996 American Indian and Alaska Natives incarcerated in California uh, per 100,000 people. So this is uh, we're looking at primarily black people uh, incarcerated in California, uh, followed by Native uh, Native Americans in California. If this is progressive, this is what you call progressive in the United States. If this is supposed to be like the leading progressive state, bro, we're in trouble, we're in trouble.
1: And that's the thing nobody ever said Democrats and progressives were not racist. I don't I don't see that. I don't I don't ever remember anybody telling me that that was the case. The New Deal was racist. I mean, the Democratic Party a century ago, as a party of the KKK. That's all true too. I mean, neither party has a stellar record on race relations. So, I mean, you know, John F. Kennedy dragged his feet with with civil rights. I mean, there's Clinton did three strikes. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, no one, no none of these parties are are about us. And so, the fact that you you call out that this is a, the the you know progressive liberal state, and yet this is still happening, it just To me, it just goes to show that there really is no political party that truly identifies with us and prioritizes our bodies and our lives and our value.
0: I tell you what, though, I do want to spend a future episode looking into prisons and incarceration uh, more deeply, because I know that while we are focusing on California, you're absolutely right. Um, This is not a a a left or right issue, Democrat or Republican issue. This is a America issue and we can point to other prisons in other parts of the country that are just as cruel and practice the same sort of uh, labor in other ways in other parts of the country and in far, far worse things as well. So yeah, uh, for sure. Hopefully we can
1: get Michelle Alexander on that episode.
0: You know what? I think (laughs) I think we can. That would be excellent.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
0: So the one last item I want to touch on is a article that comes from CNBC, where the uh, the headline basically reads millennials may inherit twenty four trillion dollars. So. Don't want to go into too much depth with this particular article because it was a very short article. It's one of those, uh, wasn't exactly a clickbaity article, but there wasn't much to it. But what I will say is, if millennials are supposed to come into twenty-four trillion dollars, brother, how much is that transfer going to Black American descendant of slaves?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with not a whole lot because wealth in the black community is minuscule compared to wealth in the white, of, compared to wealth within the white community. So of that $24 trillion that millennials will be inheriting, I know we'll be getting a small fraction of that. And, um, and I say that with a kind of tongue, tongue-in-cheek tone. But that doesn't make it any lighter than it is. It's, it's just an example, again, of the legacy of slavery and the white supremacy and the aftermath of them this has real life dollars and cents impact on our lives in this world today which is why reparations is the goal because without reparations without a true honest atonement and redress of these crimes you know we we are going to be continuously left out of the wealth transfer and we will continuously be on the front lines of fighting fires. And we will be continuously on the, uh, we'll we'll continuously be the ones suffering the most from racist practices within the medical industry and and all of those things. So um, that's, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. And I feel like I said that last week. And I, I think it's also a good time to reiterate the vision of make America whole which, because we touched on these founding documents, the vision of Make America Whole is that we envision an America that lives up to its founding creed, that all people are created equal and that they are entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that in this America, its people are enfranchised with with all constitutional rights without exception, and its people are free to move about with safety and opportunity.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself, bro. So, folks, we want to thank you once again for joining us this week for Make America Whole. Again, we are focused and committed on recognizing the need, visualizing the impact and organizing the action to make America whole through a reparations program for foundational black Americans, descendants of slaves, and make sure that we come to a point where as a nation we can heal in so many different ways together. So we want to thank you for joining us. And by the way, we remind you once again to check us out on our website. That is at makeamericahole.org. And pretty soon you'll be able to find us on all other social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all coming soon. We want to make sure that we not only provide you with information, but also information that you can share with others to begin having these conversations and dialogue.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, one thing I'll always say at the end of these, definitely want to shout out all the ancestors and the elders who made this possible, um, from Callie House to Dr. Sandy Darity and Kirsten Mullen. Um, you know, we, we are on the st- we are standing on the shoulders of giants, and we are humbly just just one small piece of the puzzle for this reparations pursuit and we, we want we have to always acknowledge them and all of their efforts and work so that you know we have had so that we have information and a platform to to be a part of this conversation and, and again as Lawrence mentioned we thank you all for listening we hope to hear from you and see you again soon and uh, with that we'll sign off. Peace.